Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers and history. We are just moving along here. We are now deep into the Middle Ages, and uh, that affords us the opportunity this evening to talk about one Saint Catherine of Bologna, another, we could say, luminous image of holiness. And have we not been talking about great luminous images of holiness? 18 months ago, we started talking about uh, the many great saints of our history, and it really has been an honor and a privilege to journey with you, reflecting into uh, what makes this saint and that saint a saint. Right? And uh, we will continue to do this this evening, and I will do this with John O'Hara. So, uh, John, great to have you with me in studio this evening. Thank you, Joe. Good to be back again. So, uh, John, as I just noted, St. Catherine of Bologna, another luminous image of, of holiness, if you will. And as we were talking before, John, I really do want to talk about what that word means, holiness, because certainly we could have a, a refresher, if you will. Where does holiness start? Well, when I ask that question, I cannot help but think of that great encounter between uh, St. Thomas Aquinas at the end of his life with our Lord on the cross, when he was praying before the crucifix, and he heard the voice come from our Lord, Thomas, you have written well of me. What would you have for your reward? And Thomas pauses, and he looks up at him, and he says, I want nothing except you. I want nothing except you, Lord. That <laughs> is the starting point for all holiness. That might seem so radical, so over the top, but is this not <laughs> what Christianity is all about? Remember, to be Christian is to simply be Christ-like, and to be Christ-like, Christ's purity must invade our very souls. That story of Thomas Aquinas reminds me a little bit of St. Paul, mm. who, with absolutely no thought of helping Christ, mm. hears his voice, and wow, was he changed. If somehow we can connect with Christ, truly connect with Christ, that would really help us towards holiness. And uh, now the question is, how do you do that? All yeah. I can think of is, lead your life open to him all the time. Yeah, and when you talk about holiness, it really does mean to be set apart. Set apart from what? Well, set apart from the secular. But it is in the act of loving, to will the good of the other. And you can only will the good of the other, that great definition of love, when you first have been loved by Christ, when you first have accepted Christ's very life into your very heart. It's to remember, John, especially within the Catholic context, when we go to receive the Eucharist, it is just not us consuming the flesh of Christ. It is Christ at once consuming us. Yes. You see, St. Paul says what? It is no longer I living, but Christ who lives in me. Today is the Feast of St. Lawrence. And it's not just a memorial, it's a feast day. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he saw 
Pope Sixtus going off to be martyred. He said, hey, can I go with you? And I think Pope says, your time is coming. Uh-huh. And certainly it did because <laughs> the prefect of Rome, whoever the head sheriff was, said, because Lawrence was kind of like a, the uh, treasurer. Yes, uh, so yes. I want your money. He says, yeah, okay, we'll, I'll give it to you. Yeah. Give me a couple of days. Okay, fine. So uh-huh. he takes all the treasures of the church, passes out to the poor, gets the poor in front of the prefect. Here's here's our treasure right there. Mm. And he was martyred on a, ter- I mean, a ter- he wasn't mar- martyred on a gridiron, I mean, yeah. over fire. Yeah. And uh, he's quite highly revered. And amen, St. Lawrence. Another example of that just uncalculated willingness to do whatever it is that God is asking you to do. Right. I used the word radical earlier. What does that word mean? Well, it comes from a Latin word that means root. If we are rooted in Jesus Christ, uh, we are going to be radical for Jesus Christ and all that we do. And this sets us apart. And so as we talk about St. Catherine of Bologna, John, what we will discover that she is a woman who embodied this holiness, uh, and certainly this is highlighted by her charity and generosity. She uh, was born in 1413 and died in 1463, so she lived 50 years uh, in in Italy, in northern Italy, I believe, and uh, she began in a semi-monastic community, which eventually was affiliated with the poor Clares. Now, that's from St. Francis, Mm -hmm. St. Clare. And she was a prioress of that uh, abbey. It was called Corpus Christi, convent in Bologna. And she became famous in her own time for her sanctity. And she is also the patron saint of art. Mm -hmm. So uh, she was a little bit of a celebrity, uh, at least in that area. And um, she lived uh, at the same time as Joan of Arc. I'm sure they didn't know each other, ever meet. But Joan of Arc was quite a celebrity. She must have heard of her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this is the time period we're talking about. And I just want to remind our listeners that within 100 years, we're going to have the Reformation. So there were issues going on in Christendom and in Europe at this time, which an eye should be kept on. It's really interesting. You mentioned St. Joan of Arc, and you give us a little bit of a historical context there, John, that when you go to the Middle Ages, you don't find very many saints during her time. And you just said, you know, the Protestant Reformation is going to be coming up here in about 100 years. Well, the reason why the Reformation took place was because the absence of women like uh, St. Catherine of Bologna. If you were to rewind 100 years, we have all of these saints, and yet suddenly there's not many saints. And what's going on there? Well, every historian will tell you that uh, the Protestant Reformation took place because of a, a decline in spirituality. And so we are very grateful for the likes of a St. Catherine of uh, Bologna, who at a point in her life, John, had to make a decision, because St. Catherine had the opportunity to lead a life as a noble at court, even as a woman. And did she take that route? No. She eagerly responded to her call to religious life. And why? Why take that end of the fork? Well, because ultimately... There was something put on her heart. Earlier we were talking about holiness. Holiness is the quest to go deeper. Holiness is about the spiritual life, and the spiritual life simply, John, is about the seeking, uh, the ache, the desire to go deeper. And in that moment in her life when she could have taken the secular path, she took the spiritual path, knowing that out from her own encounters with Christ, it was only Christ who was going to fulfill her heart's desire. And praise be Jesus Christ for that yes, because there were many who did not say yes. And let us remember, John, 
that we all have that fork in the road before us each and every day. We could say no, we could say yes to God's will. And we learn from the likes of St. Catherine of Bologna how important it is, especially today in the year 2015, to say yes to God's will, to say yes to the road less traveled, to coin that title of uh, Peck's book, right? (laughs) And to embrace that that road less traveled is indeed the road that God calls us to. Yeah. And, And amen for that. I mean, she just did not give up her connection with Christ and the church I mean, what she went through was, she had no idea how it was going to turn out. Extraordinary. But, uh, yeah, but, but she, she stuck to it and lived quite a, an, an extraordinary life. Yeah, John, such an extraordinary life that she was actually an incorruptible. Now, there are saints that we have talked about that are incorrupt, and we have not really drawn this out. So I thought maybe this evening we can talk about this a little bit. First of all, uh, what does the word itself mean? Well, corrupt, coming from the Latin corruptus, means to be spoiled, to be defiled, Uh, what is impure. So to say one who is incorrupt is to say, well, one who was uh, pure, one who was not defiled, one who was not spoiled, right? So often an incorruptible saint is one who lived a life of purity and holiness. Now, speaking specifically to what we mean when we say incorruptible saints, John, incorruptible saints are those saints whose bodies are miraculously preserved after death define the normal process of uh, decomposition. It's interesting, John, modern science, I was doing some research, and this just fascinated me, has relocated the incorruptibles to the status of mummies, (laughs) almost in this attempt to comfortably uh, categorize these saints. Of course, we know that they have nothing in common uh, with mummies. Uh, In fact, when you go into a study, the incorruptibles, what you find is that uh, their skin is soft, uh, their limbs pliable, uh, nothing at all like the dry skeletal remains of mummies. Huh? And under usual circumstances, nothing has been done to preserve the life of these bodies. In fact, some of the saints who we know today to be incorrupt have been covered in what's called a quicklime. Now, typically, quicklime destroys any human remains but not, of course, in the case of these saints. Uh, Many of them, uh, when you go and learn about the incorruptibles, uh, give off a sweet, unearthly odor. Others, when you go through them, (laughs) produce blood or oils that defy any kind of uh, scientific explanation. You know, John, believers and non-believers alike, when you study the incorruptibles, are made to ponder how A year and a half after the death of St. Francis of of Xavier, the great Jesuit, a medical examiner placed a finger into one of the saint's wounds and found fresh blood on his finger when he withdrew it. Believers and non-believers alike are made, John, to ponder that when a finger was amputated from St. John of the Cross several months after his death, it was immediately observed that blood began to flow from the wound. Believers and non-believers alike, John, are made to ponder the likes of a St. Nicholas of Tolentino, whose arms have frequently bled over the last 400 years, and John, we could go on. The truth is that these occurrences cannot be understood outside of divine intervention. The secular scientists can say these are nothing more than mummies, but when we do our homework, we quickly realize that it is through some sort of divine intervention, that God has suspended the laws of nature. Why? 
That's the question. Why the incorrupt saints? I mean, is this just he finds favor in these saints? No, I think there's something more to it. I spoke to what is corrupt as being what is impure, what is defiled, what is spoiled. St. Catherine of Bologna's life was a life of purity and holiness. What he wants us to see is, in fact, there are men and women in our past, John, whose very lives, as Romans 12, verses 1 to 3 remind us, have been holy and acceptable offerings to God. This is what the incorrupt saints are about. This was what the life of St. Catherine of Bologna was about. I saw the uh, incorrupt body of St. John Bosco mm. in the Italian town, whose name I can't think of, but I think it makes a lot of cars, maybe Fiat's. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, and it was quite amazing. He had dreams, and he would tell these dreams to his boys. And some of these dreams are really incredible. The dream of the ships coming mm-hmm. into the port, really quite amazing. And it reminds you of how holy he was. And his mother seemed to be a big part of his life. She was not that far away from him for a lot of it. Th- these little stories, just they, they get to me. And Jesus Christ, he worked miracles mm-hmm. for a very good reason. Yeah. And it attracted a lot of attention. And the miracle of miracles, his own resurrection from the dead. And uh, St. Paul says, if that happened, what, what are we arguing about? Mm-hmm. Um, amazing, yes. And so these uh, little signs that we see are, are, quite, are quite helpful. Yeah, and it's biblical, by the way, John. Yes. Let us remember when you go to the book of Acts, uh, people are just wanting to touch St. Paul's handkerchief because uh-huh. they believe that they would be healed. Right? So these incorruptibles, these saints, we call them relics in the truest sense of, of what that word means, truly something that reminds us of the presence of God. When my wife and I were on our honeymoon in Rome, we came across some incorrupt popes, and it blew me out of the water, John. I had never seen an incorruptible before, and it just blew me out of the water. I didn't know what to do with it. It was more than just a reminder of the greatness of God's love time stood still. When I struggle in my own personal faith, I am made to remember those moments, you know, when I was looking upon an incorruptible saint, which again, science cannot explain. If our listeners are are really interested in this, I just want to encourage them uh, to do their homework on the incorruptible saints. I have a list. There's hundreds of them. I'm not going to read them all now, but just a few of them. St. Bernadette, uh, St. Catherine of Genoa, St. Cecilia. St. Cecilia, in fact, was the first known incorruptible saint. Uh, St. Charles Borromeo, of course, St. Clair of Assisi, St. Francis de Sales, and maybe the most popular incorrupt saint, St. John Vianney, St. John Bosco, who you just mentioned. Uh, How about St. Maria Goretti? Wow. And, oh, by the way, (laughs) she is coming to the United States of America here in the near future. So pay close attention to that. I think there's going to be a lot of grace that comes from that. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, St. Philip Neri, the list goes on and on. St. Padre Pio, of course. The essence of it is this. When we choose God, we choose purity and holiness. Now, St. Catherine of Bologna was also a mystic. Uh, We have talked about this before. We're not going to rehash all of it, John, but I do want to re-engage the essence of what we mean when we do talk about the mystical. Remember what the word mystery itself means, coming from the Greek mysterion, inexhaustible reality. The Greek verb to mysterion is meo, okay? 
Uh, it means to be initiated by right or religious doctrine into an encounter with Christ. So we have the sacred mysteries of our faith, and sacramentally speaking, we are initiated into those mysteries. What lies at the heart of all mystery, John, is the encounter, and how we are made to understand that life is not a problem to be solved abruptly and suddenly, but a mystery to be lived continuously, perpetually, in light of the overarching truth that God is infinite mystery. He is inexhaustible mystery. There is never going to be a day on this side of the beatific vision, John, where we know the sum total of all things. What was the great line from Thomas Aquinas? The more I come to know, the more I realize how little I know. Yes. And what did Jesus Christ say to him? <laughs> you have written well of me. And he only started to scratch the surface. That shouldn't be intimidating to us, John, or daunting. It should be exciting because what is set before us in that moment is a lifelong quest mm -hmm. where we do understand life is a mystery to be lived continuously. That's what lies yeah. at the heart of the mystical life. Mm -hmm. This encounter with the divine, this encounter with the supernatural, where at once we see the world with new lenses, a new set of glasses from which we can look through and see Christ in all things. So important. There's a book on those incorruptibles, and they're available, and you can go and find out about them. The incorruptibility, while it is most interesting, is not the sole thing that, that makes a saint a saint. But what makes a saint a saint is that they are holy. And we may know uh, maybe one hundredth of one percent of the saints in heaven. Mm -hmm. How many people are in heaven whose names you know, they were, they were known in their time to their family, to their community. But being a saint means that you now have a vision of God. And that's the purpose of life. That's the only thing that is going to bring us the happiness that we were born to have. And certainly for St. Catherine of Bologna, her happiness was grounded in God's own holiness through her uh, deep prayer life. And you know, she's also the patron saint of art, John, as you mentioned off the top. And there's a direct connection between mystery and art because both have a way of revealing something that was once unseen. I made to think of the transfiguration. If you were to study the transfiguration, uh, what do you find? Well, the word itself, uh, metamorphosis, literally translates as going beyond the form that he had. So in the transfiguration, Christ, without ceasing to be what he was, became something more, revealing a new depth dimension that was up to that point unseen. He revealed the essence of God there in that great light without corruption. Of course, we see this in a type form with the burning bush. What's my point here? The great light of the transfiguration provides the ground for true vision. I don't know about you, John, but if you have ever tried to read something in the dark, you find yourself straining. Once you cast some sort of night light upon it, well, what do you find? You can suddenly see. The light effectively illuminates. Mystery and light illuminate. Why am I talking about this as it relates to art? Well, art is intended to illuminate. Art can become ground for true vision, adding a new depth dimension to our faith. Again, there's a direct link between the mystical and art itself.
Art is a metaphor for truth. Mm. When you see a good painting, it should bring you higher than simply what you're looking into the canvas. Now, there's also music, and there's also literature and writing. And good Catholics have been in there all of the time. We all know that St. Cecilia, I believe, is the patron saint in music. I'm not sure if there's any modern-day saints that I am aware of whose music you can put a CD into your car and listen to. I mean, there's lots of good holy music. But anyway, I'm thinking of people like Tolkien. Mm -hmm. Those people just raise me to see depth, better C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. And don't forget, Shakespeare, there's a very, very good case that Shakespeare was a believing Catholic all of his life. And if you read his plays, there's nothing contradictory to the Catholic faith in them. All of this, you can see truth clearly, even perhaps clearer in art than you can see it in the politics and history of our day. Yeah, that's well said, John. I mean, art has this kind of 3D capacity, you know, where it reveals a new depth dimension uh, that, again, was once unseen. And in that sense, I really hear you. You know, it raises us up. It elevates us to understand truth for what it is. Art, uh, it really is a cognitive ally of the Holy Spirit to the degree um, that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I remember the end of Brideshead Revisited. Uh, both the novel and the made-for-TV movie are just as good as it gets. So anyway, um, the two lovers at the end realize they can't get married. I mean, they lived in a pretty secular English age of the 1920s, 30s, and, but they, they came to realize the truth of the Catholic Church, what they all thought was baloney, I mean, isn't that kind of current, hmm. really was actual truth. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. both had been married before, and they realized that they, they were really, truly in love, and uh, this is not going to work. It can't work. We must live. You know, we can, really can't see each other, so I love you. Goodbye. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, it was mm -hmm. really quite touching, and they yeah. both came to this conclusion. Yeah, John, to speak of the playwright is really to speak of a very particular art within the larger category of the liberal arts that really does speak to truth. And, and I love how you, how you not only have highlighted that here for us this evening, but how you have highlighted that um, in the past. You know, this whole uh, topic of art has me thinking about how we long for the beautiful John and how we are made to uh, contemplate beauty. We are to remember, uh, John, that one of the characteristics of contemplation itself is the object of our contemplation must be seen as possessing great value. And, and we can define great value by what affects the heart in some positive and virtuous way. St. Catherine of Bologna understood well, as it relates to the relationship between the mystical and the art, this deeper truth concerning contemplation. The deeper she went into her contemplation, the more she was able to render the truth in what she was contemplating, in the art that she was contemplating, understanding the deeper she went into contemplation, the more the art she would contemplate would affect the heart in this virtuous and positive way. We should never overlook this truth because otherwise we would lose our compass of what just not the mystical and art is all about, but certainly the contemplation that is needed for both. In uh, John of the Cross writings, which is compiled by uh, ICS, the Carmelite Studies uh, Publishing Company, there is in the front his own picture of Christ on the cross. Mm. But that drawing of Christ on the cross, you saw our Lord suffering, mm -hmm. and he would have done that if there was only one person on yeah. earth. Yeah. yeah, amen, and that's the way of beauty. 
John, uh, have we not said it before? In the world of evangelization, we can lead with either truth, beauty, and goodness. All three of them belong to the category of the transcendentals, if you will. But as von Balthasar reminds us, um, to lead with beauty is to lead with the winsome, (laughs) what is agreeable (laughs) and pleasant. Uh Uh, And I think it's a meeting point. There's a reason why, because we are all captivated. Um, We are all drawn to what is uh, beautiful. So anyhow, I think we're out of time. John, I don't know if you had any closing thoughts. No, but uh, St. Catherine Bologna, uh, she's probably not the most famous saint around, but she is has quite a bit to add. I enjoyed my investigations of her and an incorruptible artist and lived as a poor Claire. That's good enough for uh, EWTN. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And for our listening audience, EWTN is a Catholic radio programming network who does a lot on the lives of the saints. So as far as my closing thoughts, John, it goes back to what we said about Thomas Aquinas in his response to Christ when he said, well, what would you have for your reward? And his response was, only you. I want nothing except you. Now, this really is the airmark of the life of St. Catherine of Bologna. You mentioned the poor Clares. Uh, she became a superior um, in a religious community that eventually uh, became a part of the poor Clares. She had a heart for charity, a heart for the poor. One of the words uh, we were talking earlier, John, that is tied to her is generous generous. She had a heart of generosity. So if we were to draw anything from this evening's program alongside of what we have talked about as it relates to the incorruptibles, uh, mystical thought, and, and art, it is to remember that all holiness starts with that radical response of, I want nothing except you, God. And that comes to fruition when we lead a life of charity and generosity to the likes of a St. Catherine of Bologna. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.